0: Uh, Welcome, it's great to have you with us this morning. Sorry for the uh, the outage this morning. Uh, Something happened to the power in the building, but I think we're back up and running. So, in case you're joining us for the first time today, we are a few weeks into a sermon series looking at the life of Paul the Apostle. And we're loosely basing the sermon series on this book, uh, Paul, a Biography by N.T. Wright. And if you don't have a copy, I thoroughly recommend that you get hold of one and try to read along. But when we last left Paul and Barnabas in the story, they were in Antioch and they were been preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles. And in Antioch, Barnabas saw what the grace of God had done and he was glad and encouraged them. So Barnabas sends for his friend Paul. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, who's, who's also known as Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. <laughs> So when we left Barnabas and Paul, they were in Antioch. You know, it was was in Antioch where the followers of Jesus were first referred to as Christians. And uh, after this year of preaching and teaching, Antioch had become the second centre of Christianity in that part of the world, behind only Jerusalem. And we read on in the story in Acts 13. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. I don't know how you imagine missionaries. I don't know when you picture missionaries, what you think of. Perhaps Christians who travel to other places, to other cultures, to share the love of God and often do something practical. Well, this is the moment in church history where mission is born as an idea. Paul and Barnabas are inventing mission on the hoof. Uh, This wasn't something that Jews typically did This is a brand new idea. Inspired by God and through his spirit, they set off into unknown territory. Well, at least it's it's unknown territory theologically and practically, but it's not unknown geographically. You see, Cyprus is where Barnabas is originally from. And you can see on this map, uh, there's Antioch, there's Seleucia and Cyprus is a short ship journey away. And the two friends are joined by a third character, John Mark, as they make their way through Cyprus, preaching and teaching. The thing is, the farther away these two get from the centres of Christianity, from Antioch and Jerusalem, the greater the risks to them. But I do wonder, what is it that inspired Paul and Barnabas in mission? What is it that drove them to do something that had never been done before? What drove Paul and Barnabas to reach further and further out into Gentile territory? Is it simply a desire to be more inclusive? Well, that would make a cheap, easy sermon point, but I don't think it's quite accurate, because that idea of inclusivity is, is quite a modern one. Paul is being driven by something much, much deeper. You see, the the Jews divided their world into two. There was us, the Jews, and there's them over there, the Gentiles. The Gentiles, those Romans, those Greeks, they were worshipping empty idols, statues. You see, in in first century Jewish thought, from a Jewish perspective, um, these idols were not other gods they were just simply empty statues. You see, Israel worshipped the one and only true God. These pagans insisted on making uh, false statues, false idols, and, and then they gave these idols power over them through their sacrifices, their devotion, through acts of perhaps temple prostitution and, and worship. They gave these empty idols, these false gods, power. And when the Jews looked out on this Gentile pagan world and saw all the idolatry and corruption, they decided all of the world's suffering, all of the troubles in the world, was their fault. It was those Gentiles over there engaged in idolatry, engaged in this pagan worship. It was their fault that the world was corrupted. They blamed them for the problems. Of the world. We might say they made them a scapegoat. So to be a good Jew was to keep yourself separate, to stay pure, to not mix with those over there, those pagans that were responsible and the cause of all the world's problems. But you see, now in Paul's thinking, everything has changed. On the cross, Jesus has won a victory. He's overcome these powers of darkness. He's set the world free. And Paul wants all of those who are trapped in darkness to be set free. When he's speaking to the Jews, his message is that the kingdom has come. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, is here. This present evil age is over. And to the Gentiles, his message is that they can leave these empty idols the darkness and power that has hold of them. Jesus has made a way for them too, Them also to return to the one true God, Israel's God. And they are now invited and welcome. N.T. Wright puts it like this. It's as if they have nothing to lose but their chains. The prison door has been thrown open and all that has to happen through the sharing of the gospel is that someone has to point this out to them so that they can leave their prison. You see, victory has been won on the cross by Jesus and as a result, the Gentiles are free from their self-imposed slavery. If only they would turn and worship the one true God, then they can have forgiveness of sins and they are included in this one new family that God is establishing. Later on in Acts, Paul is recounting his conversion and his calling, uh, and his, his calling to this life of mission to King Agrippa II. He recounts how God, through Jesus, spoke to him in a vision and says this. I'm sending you off to open the eyes of the eyes of the outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light. To see the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you off to present my offer of sins forgiven and a place in the family, inviting them into the company of those who begin real living By believing in me as Eugene Peterson's translation of the reading Angie read for us and you see as your sins forgiven you are given a place in the family and welcomed in Um, to be forgiven is to be made a child of God and to be made a child of God is to be forgiven these are in Paul's thinking two sides of the same theological idea And it's important we get this idea. If you don't get anything else from today's sermon, if you remember nothing else that I tell you, just remember this idea because it will be important as we go along and look at Paul's thinking that forgiveness is to be included. When you are forgiven, you are included in the family of God. And as you are included in the family of God, you are then forgiven. They're two sides of exactly the same idea and it'll become important as we unpack Paul's thinking. But for now it's time for Paul to move on from Cyprus to sail north through another sea voyage this time to the southern coast of modern-day Turkey to southern Galatia and you know the farther away from home the more pagan and risky the journey becomes uh, perhaps this is why John Mark leaves them at this point and returns to Jerusalem perhaps it's it's fear that sends him back to his family in Jerusalem. It's a decision that later on in the story is going to divide Paul and Barnabas, but that's for another day. For the time being, they journey north through Pamphylia and on to Pisidian Antioch. Now, Pisidian Antioch is a different Antioch to the other one, so don't get them confused. They're two different places. Um, This Pisidian Antioch was also known as New Rome. That's because it was an ex-military colony, founded only a few decades earlier to house all the military veterans returning from the civil wars. These were the people that the Romans really didn't want back in Rome. So archaeologists and historians looking into Pisidian Antioch tell us that its architecture, its monuments, its temples were there to to feel as much like the mother city as it could. It was a way of bringing Roman culture onto Turkish soil. And just as the Jews had a view of the others, the Romans had a view of the Jews. Looking at it from a Roman perspective, these Jews, well, well, they were atheists. That's what the, the, the Romans called the Jews. They called them atheists because they heard that they had a temple in Jerusalem, but that temple had no statue in it. And if there's no statue in it, then there's no God. Um. So those Jews, well, they don't really believe in any God at all. But most of the time, this, this wasn't a particular problem. As long as the Jews kept themselves to themselves and didn't cause any trouble, then they were allowed to get on with whatever it was they were doing over there. It was an agreement that suited the Romans and the Jews alike. The only time this arrangement fell down is when there was a problem, when there was famine or flood or fire, when, when the Romans needed somebody to blame and you guessed it, when they needed to blame someone, it was their fault. On those occasions, blame fell on those atheist Jews because they weren't worshipping the gods. Particularly, they weren't worshipping Caesar. A bad thing had happened, so the gods must be angry. And it's the gods are angry because of them. We could say that the Romans scapegoated the Jews, blaming them for the gods' anger. You see, the Jews thought the present evil age, this age of suffering, was being caused by the pagan idolatry, and the Romans thought that, well, any disasters, famine, flood or fire, was caused by those Jews and their failure to worship the gods. They each blamed the other, scapegoating the other. It was always their fault. me, strikes me, as I was reading this passage today and listening to Tom Wright's commentary on it, that... We're always looking for someone else to blame. You know, the idea goes all the way back to the first book in the Bible, to Genesis. Uh, you remember the story, Adam and Eve and the apple and the serpent? Well, when God finds them, it's, it's Adam who blames Eve. It was her fault. She made me do it. And Eve, in turn, blames the serpent. It was, it was the serpent. We've been looking for other people to blame, someone else to scapegoat since the very beginning. And the whole idea of a scapegoat is a biblical one. It's found in Leviticus chapter 16, which says this, Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins and putting them on the head of the goat and then sending it away into the wilderness, sending it away presumably to die. I don't think Paul uses this language explicitly. But for Paul, oh, sorry, it's a bit more of the reading. The goat shall bear on its head all the iniquities to a barren region, and the goat shall be sent out into the wilderness. So, for Paul, on the cross of Jesus, Jesus has become the scapegoat. He's become the target for both the Jews and the Romans. The Sanhedrin, well, they are blaming Jesus. They're scapegoating Jesus. For Romans through Pontius Pilate, well, they can blame Jesus too. And somehow this, both of them finding a third party to blame in Jesus on the cross restores an uneasy peace to Jerusalem. Jesus himself has become the scapegoat. Then three days later, in a dramatic act of recreation and resurrection, he disempowers the system. He shows it for the empty scheme it is and the jail doors are flung open. Freedom is bought for all. You see, this is no modern notion of inclusion. God has taken the very mechanism that we use to divide ourselves. Them over there it's it's all their fault. Stone them and, and God has emptied it of its power there is no longer the us and them. Forgiveness and inclusion, remember, are one and the same thing, this welcoming into God's new family. And it's free, a gift of grace for all. Of course, to the Romans in Galatia, they don't like this message. The Jews had special permission uh, not to worship the Roman gods, just as long as they kept themselves to themselves. And now there's this Jewish upstart, Saul and his friend, Well, they're not keeping quiet. Worse, they're encouraging Roman citizens to to evoke this Jewish privilege and not worship the gods. Paul is encouraging them to declare that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. Well, pretty soon in the story, things turn ugly and Paul is run out of town, stoned and left for dead. And repeatedly, they're driven from city to city across Galatia. In what we'll see becomes the background to the letter he would write there, Paul now finds himself suffering for the sake of the gospel. So we'll pick up the story of Paul and Barnabas in future weeks, but we're going to leave it there with the question of what does this have to do with us today? Well, you remember that the Jews, they, were, they blamed the Gentiles and the Romans, they blamed the Jews. And it, it seems like as humans, we like to divide the world up between us. And then... Do you know what? Most of the time, all of the problems are their fault. We were having dinner with some friends last week and we got on to discussing the American election or rather the debate, that, or you can call it a debate, the slagging match that was televised on TV. And I have to say, I just discovered that President Trump had COVID and I, I expressed some pretty unchristian thoughts at that dinner table. Preparing for today's sermon challenged me. You see, the American election, we see it, it's it's divided really clearly into two parties, Republican and Democrat, and they both blame each other for all of the ills of their society. Now, I do have to say I profoundly disagree with Donald Trump, and I think he's probably a danger to the world, and I really hope he loses for all of our sakes, but he is also a child of God. He is loved by God, as are others within the Republican Party. And as the world becomes increasingly divided, we as Christians, like Paul, are called to reach over the divide. Jesus' death and resurrection ends that division between us and unites us as one family, children of God. In Jesus' sacrifice, we are forgiven, and to be forgiven is to be included. So perhaps our task is to reach over to the other side, to find ways to build bridges, to make peace. And we don't always have to agree with them, but maybe we should be stopped scapegoating and looking at how we can build relationship. And just in case we think it's a solely North American problem, anyone remember this from 2016? The division that happened in our country between Brexiteers and Remainers. It's their fault. No, it's their fault. It strikes me that we, as humans, divide the world up. Us and them, right and wrong. And there are other places we do it too. Perhaps some people draw those lines on race. White and non-white. Well, Jesus has become the scapegoat. So that now all are welcome. Perhaps others do it with class. You know, those work-shy people or those rich people with silver spoons in their mouths. Well, Jesus has become the scapegoat so that all are now welcome. Migrants, refugees, male, female, straight, gay. The list goes on. The walls and barriers have come down. There is no us and them. There is just us, children of a loving God. If you can't see God in all, you can't see God at all. Forgiveness is inclusion and inclusion is forgiveness. And Paul and Barnabas believed that enough for it to compel them as missionaries into this new dangerous territory to reach out to the other and invite them in. My question for us today is, are we able to do the same? Can we reach across the divides that separate us? Reach out to others, listen, understand and recognise God's image in all. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we are so prone to divide our world into whether it's Jews, Gentiles, right, wrong, us and them. And Jesus, on the cross, you draw all humanity to yourself and invite us into this one family that God is creating, where our sins are forgiven and we can be included. Well, thank you that you took that division upon yourself to the cross and help us to live as people who are willing to reach out across divides, to be generous to people who think differently to us, to listen, to understand and to seek to heal. In Jesus' name. Amen.